Welcome to the sermon podcast for Restoration Nazarene Church, where we encourage you to be the gospel today so that you can share the gospel tomorrow. Today is the moment that I've been waiting for. Whenever we talk about Revelation, the first thing that people like to talk about is the mark of the beast and the Antichrist. And, and I don't know about you, but I hear people all the time talking about this. People are saying things like, these are signs that Jesus is coming back soon. The, the end is near. The Antichrist is coming. They're f- afraid of receiving the mark of the beast. And we, we watch for these signs to make sure that we are ready. And also so that we don't receive this mark of the beast, which leads me to ask the question, what exactly is the mark? And the most recent fear that I've heard of is is that the mark is found inside of the COVID vaccine. You've heard that one, I assume. And and they, they go that way because the government has been so hard to push that everybody gets vaccinated. And then you hear the stories about how you can't go into restaurants without your vaccine card. You can't travel without this. And they take the scripture that says that you can't buy or sell without the mark of the beast. And so now that must be the COVID vaccine. So the question is, is any of that true? Is the vaccine the mark of the beast? Are we in the final stages? Was COVID a part of this plague that came through the seals that we had talked about a couple of weeks ago? Can we expect Jesus to return soon? And in addition to the mark of the beast, we also have a question of, of who is the beast? Who is the Antichrist? Revelation 13, 18 says that this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. And you all know how much I love puzzles and challenges. And here we have in scripture a puzzle and a challenge to calculate the number, this 666, to figure out who this this name is, which of course makes me extremely excited to try and calculate and figure out. But before we get there, we need to back up a bit and look at all of these chapters together leading up to it so that we can see where it is going and we can find the clues to decode this secret hidden message. And now I want to provide a small caveat here and say that that this morning will be a little bit more teaching than I normally do, but that teaching is extremely important so that we can get to the place of calculating what this mark of the beast is and so that we can determine what does that mean for us today. And this past week we read through as a church, chapters 12 through 15. And, and before we get to this final beast that has the number of 666, we're introduced to two other evil forces. Chapters 12 and 13 introduce us to a total of three evil forces. We have a dragon, this red dragon. We have a beast from the sea and then a beast from the earth. And that beast from the earth is the one whose name is 666. And when we start in chapter 12, we see that there's this red dragon that has seven heads and 10 horns. And this dragon seems to be at war with God and at war with this woman 
who is in childbirth, who is who's pregnant with this child. And when we look at this entire story of the dragon, we see that this story does not necessarily provide us with just a prediction of something coming. And it doesn't just tell us about something that happened many, many years ago, because we, we see that it mentions several things that happened throughout time. We have Eve in the garden in the beginning. We have Israelites through the captivity. We even have the blood of the lamb that is Jesus Christ. It talks about all of these things that happen, which again, when Revelation was written, that would have been everything leading up to that point. And so we see that this story is not just future. It's not just past, but it encompasses everything. It's conveying a message for God's people in all times and places. And the same is true for the next two stories of these next two beasts. And so they, they continue to warn us across the generations, across time for all people. So as we look at these, keep that in mind, that it's not just a future, it's not just a past, it is all of time together in the first one. And so this first beast that comes in chapter 13 comes out of the sea and it's this giant beast and it describes it just like the dragon. It says that this beast also has seven heads and ten horns, but there's more. Verse 2 of chapter 13 says that the beast I saw resembled a leopard but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. And it would look something like this picture on the screen is what it would look like. That is what, it, it's all over the place. No, I'm not. Uh, this is what it would look like if you were to, to draw it out into a picture. So this is the beast that comes out of the sea. And, and there's something really important about this because this is the exact same thing that is prophesied in the Old Testament Daniel chapter 7, who, who talks about the rise of these four kingdoms or these four empires that will rise before the coming of God, before the kingdom of God has arrived. And he envisions these four kingdoms that would come as different beasts. The first beast is a lion. The second beast is a bear. The third beast is a leopard. And the final beast has 10 horns. And so Revelation puts all of these together into the one beast. And so by replacing these four separate beasts and putting them into one, Revelation indicates that, that this threat presents all of these as one threat. It's no longer four distinct threats, but one big one. And I'm going to come back to that in a moment. And after this first beast comes out of the sea, then comes a second one from the earth. Revelation 13 uh, chapter 13, verses 11 through 12, says, Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. Skip to verse 16. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This is the beast who 
whose number is 666, who we are challenged to calculate and determine who it is. But before we do that, there's something that's really important to look at here that John wants us to see first, which will help us calculate that number. We have these three evil powers or yeah, evil powers that come, the dragon and two beasts. And these three powers are the complete opposite of God. There are three parts to God. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit that make up the Trinity. These three evil powers that John describes in a way make up an evil trinity. They, they are the complete opposite of God. The dragon who is Satan is the opposite of of God. The beast from the sea is opposite of, of Jesus because the beast that comes out of the sea it resembles the dragon who he came from like a son would, just like Jesus resembles God. And this dragon or this beast was sent with all authority from the dragon, just like Jesus was sent with all authority from heaven. And then the final beast from earth is the opposite of the Holy Spirit. This beast had great power. This beast could cause fire to fall down from heaven, just like the Holy Spirit did in Acts 2 with Pentecost. And this beast even puts the, the seal on the right hand or forehead of their people, just like God did to his people. These three beasts represent the opposite of, of God. They represent all of evil together, this evil trinity. Think of it like how superheroes have, have an arch nemesis that they battle, right, Kurt? And, and we, we could think of it like yin and yang or good versus evil. This is what John is trying to describe with these three different evil powers. And when we read about all of these beasts together and see that the great evil that together they represent, we are one step closer to calculating it. But there's one connection we need to make first before we get there, and, and that we have to start by reading, always reading from the perspective of the first century church, who the letter was written to. And so the question would be, how would they have read it? And to them, not only would have they have Rep or connected that these three beasts are the opposite of God, but they would have also made a connection between the beasts to Rome and Nero, their, their emperors. And we haven't gotten there yet. We will read that this week. But in chapter 17, verse 9, John clearly states that these beasts represent Rome which he refers to as the seven hills um, that he's talked to about earlier in Revelation, meaning that that is Rome. And so knowing that John makes this connection, if we go back and we read, starting in verse 1 of 13, we see on each head of the beast is a blasphemous name. And this would make them think about how, how the Roman emperors were known for being called blasphemous names like, like Lord and Son of God. The second half of verse 7 says, And the beast was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. This would make them think about how the Romans, were they were this big, evil, powerful empire that extended to multiple nations. And therefore, they had exercised authority over many peoples of many tribes, languages, and nations. And the last connection is to Nero. Again, who was this great emperor? And the first part of seven says it was given power to wage war against God's holy people. And Nero ruthlessly made war on God's people. 
And this was fresh on their mind. This is right after Jesus had been killed. Nero starts all this persecution against the Christian church. And so when we combine the representation of four empires into one with Daniel 7, with the images of Rome and Nero, these, these three beasts, these three evil powers together represent the oppressive powers from various times and places which together create this complete picture of evil. So with that backdrop, we can now solve the puzzle and calculate the number of 666, which again, verse 18 says that this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is a number of a man. The number is 666. So the question is, how do you calculate it? And Amy and I love to do escape rooms. Has anybody ever done an escape room? Um, they also have escape room like board game versions that we do all the time. And recently we, we signed up with this one where it sends us a box every month. So every month we have this box and it's this ongoing investigation. It's like a cold case that we're trying to figure out. And so there's all these letters that were written from the 30s that we then have to decode. There are secret messages hidden with Within them, And there are so many different ways to decode these messages. And, and I, I think about that when I'm reading through Revelation of there's this secret message hidden. The, the premise with our game is that two people were, were passing secret messages, but they had to do it by letter so that if it was intercepted, the other person had no idea and just thinks it would be a regular letter. And I think about that with Revelation and the idea that this is almost a secret letter being passed to the church. And there's many different ways that you could decode it. However, I think there's only two that actually make any sense. And the first way to use it is to use this system that they call gematria. And gematria is where you assign numbers to letters. A equals one, B equals two, and so on. And so you add all those up together to create this big number, and then now you have that number. And this was extremely common during this time. Many early Christians would represent Jesus' names as 888, because you add up all the, the names of Jesus and it becomes 888. Or there was even this famous uh, graffiti, this street artist in Pompeii. You're familiar with Pompeii with the big volcano that exploded? This street artist used the number number 545 to represent his beloved, who if you know who their name is, then you can backtrace it and calculate it to be that because it's really easy to assign the numbers from the letters, but it is much harder to go the opposite direction, to start with a number and figure out what the letters are because there are many different possibilities and, and pos possible calculations that could represent this number. And so when they would do this, they would have to leave some type of a code or a hint, some way that you can figure out how to decipher it. And people for a long time have used this method to calculate the name of someone from within their own time, within their own space. And, and they, we can find that in several names, like people used it to, to calculate the names of popes or they would calculate names from medieval times and say, this name represents 666, we can calculate it this way. Or, or Hitler's name equals 666. Or I've also heard that some US president's names equal 666. And so the question is, knowing that John wrote this for the early church, 
Who would the early church have thought of? What would John be leading the early church to do to make this connection? Because they obviously didn't know about Hitler yet. And knowing that John makes a connection between the beast and Rome or Nero, it makes sense for us to start there with the name of Nero, who he seemed to be hinting and leaving these breadcrumbs to focus our attention there. And when you take the name Nero Caesar or the Hebrew form of that Nero and Kaiser, it does actually calculate to 666 which I think this would be the most plausible thing to assume that they are trying to get you to calculate is the name of Nero. However, there's a small problem with that. When Revelation was written, Nero was already dead. So then what do you do with it? And it's, it's believed by people that are much smarter than I am. It's believed that, that John was referencing Nero as a threat. As if he was saying, beware, it is Nero all over again. Or in our common time, we would say, beware, it is Hitler all over again. Have any of you heard those phrases recently or seen them on social media? I have seen them all the time of beware, this is all Hitler again. You see pictures of the Jews standing there holding out their cards and they're relating that to the COVID vaccine and saying beware, it is Hitler all over again. And where, where I'm going with all of this is that the number 666 does not necessarily represent a specific individual of some time in the future or in the past, but rather represents something much bigger. We start by decoding 666 to get Nero, which then leads us to see the bigger message of what it represents, which is a threat like Nero, or today, a threat like Hitler. But that is just where we start, which leads me to the second way that we would view this number. And we would then look at, after calculating it, we would look at how or what this number represents, which again, Revelation is all about symbolism, all about making these connections with between things and numbers are extremely important in this letter. The author John uses numbers all the time and this is just the way that you write this style of letter. And one number that we have seen over and over again is the number seven which usually represents completeness. Or when talking about God, it is the, the perfect number of God which would mean that the number six would be just short of perfection. And that kind of makes you think of Romans 3.23, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then we think about this of, of the number six being just short of the glory of God, but then there are three of them. And anytime somebody puts three of something together, it adds extra meaning to it back in this time. Like if we, we could say, holy is the Lord God Almighty, but if we say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the fact that there are three holies together makes this like, whoa, unheard of. That is an extreme amount of holiness, which sounds a little strange for us today within our common language because we don't talk that way. But that was a big deal back then. So this triple six would then represent a complete failure or complete imperfection falling short of the glory of God. 
And we also see when we've been reading through Revelation leading up to here that the sixth of everything seems to lead to this complete destruction and chaos. The sixth seal out of seven brought destruction to the world and sky, sun, moon, and stars. The sixth trumpet from the seventh seal brought death to a third of mankind. And so following this pattern... The number 666 would imply that the beast represents complete imperfection and destruction. And so if we put all of this together, we, we find the answer to the puzzle of who is this number 666. First, 666 represents a dictator or evil power like Nero. Second, 666 represents imperfection and destruction, especially destruction to the church through oppression. And so together we see that this number represents any power that seeks absolute allegiance to themselves and who oppress the church. So is it a person? Yes. Is it a nation? Yes. Is it a power? Yes, it is any one or any power that goes against God. And this message is crucial for us to hear today because of what comes from it. This beast whose name represents the complete evil and the opposite of God forces everybody to receive a mark. This mark of the beast, uh, verse 16 and 17 says, the beast forces everyone to receive a mark on their hand or foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. So what is the mark? Since it says that, that people can't buy or sell without it, many people assume that the mark would be something like social security numbers, credit card numbers, COVID vaccine, as I've mentioned. But there's a problem with this thinking because this assumes that there's a literal mark that we would receive. And for the mark to be something literal that stops our ability to buy and sell, we would also have to say that the dragon and two beasts will literally be as they are described. In other words, before the mark of the beast can come, there needs to be a dragon that falls from heaven, a beast that comes out of the sea with seven heads and ten horns, and a beast that comes out of the ground with two horns that builds a big statue and then makes people get the mark of the beast. Because we can't take one thing as literal and one thing as symbolic when they are within the same statement. It's within the same thing and the author gives us no indication to say separate those. So we have to take it as all or nothing. And so if you choose to believe that the mark is a literal mark, which you can, I'm not going to stop you, then I'm going to tell you today that you have nothing to worry about until a dragon falls from the sky and a beast comes out of the sea and of the earth. So you have nothing to worry about, nothing to fear until those things happen. However, knowing that the beasts are symbolic representing an, an evil power that is opposite of God, I think we also need to assume that the mark is something symbolic, that it is representing something. And I personally do believe that the mark will actually come. In fact, I think that the mark has already come. I think people today already have the mark of the beast. 
And if we read Revelation all together, here's what we see through all of these chapters leading up to chapter 15 where we've ended this week. We see that there are two powers that battle against each other. Good versus evil. God versus the evil one. And we also see that there are two groups of people. There are God's people with the seal of God on their foreheads. And we also see that there are the evil one's people that receive the mark of the beast. And that is it. Those are the two types of people. There's no in-between. They either serve God or they serve this beast. And remember, the point of revelation is to bring people to a place of repentance so that they can be brought to a proper place of worship. And throughout all of these chapters, we see that God continues to give every opportunity possible for us to repent. Those that repent receive the mark of God, the seal of God on their forehead. And those that do not repent receive the mark of the beast on their hand. There is no in between. You serve one or the other. You worship one or the other. And this is happening now. It's not just describing something that happens in the future. So what does it mean for somebody to worship the beast and receive the mark of the beast? It looks like idol worship. And this is what we saw at the beginning with the seven letters. The commonality between those seven churches was that they were starting to accept the culture around them and turn into idol worship. And Jesus was saying, stop, you need to repent. And everything that has happened after in Revelation is all helping those seven churches, which represents everybody, to repent and go away from idol worship. The first commandment of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament is that Thou shalt not have any other God or idol above the one true God himself. And Jesus continues that commandment by saying that the greatest commandment of all is to love your God with all your soul, mind, strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says that because if you are loving God with everything that you have, with everything that you are, then you can no longer love another God or idol because there's nothing left of you to give to love something else. And an idol is anything that takes your focus away from God. Anything that you decide to devote your time and worship to. In biblical times that they would make actual statues that they would bow down and worship. Think of it like the Buddha statue today. In modern times, we make idols out of many different things. We make idols out of technology. How many people are addicted to your phones? You, anybody get those phantom vibrations that you just, oh, did my phone ring? Nope. Oh, did it ring now? Nope. Yep, Exactly. We make idols out of technology. We make idols out of science. We can make idols out of our work or our hobbies. Or we could even make idols out of a nation. And hear me on this one. America can become an idol if you place it above God. If we treat America like Rome as this great nation and we place it above God and above what Jesus calls us to do, then America can become our idol. And now I am not saying that you cannot love our country. I am not saying that you cannot be patriotic. What I am saying is that America should not be a place 
above God, that we should not compromise our Christian image to identify with America, to fit in with the American culture. The beast in Revelation represented the nation of Rome to the early church. And the equivalent to Rome in today's world would be America. And again, I'm not saying anything bad about the nation of America. I'm not saying that they oppress the church or that they persecute Christians. I am saying that America can become an idol for us and pull our focus away from what matters. Anybody heard the term? Um, oh, I forgot the term. Anybody heard a different term of like comfortable Christianity or, um, I lost the term. I should have wrote it down. That's all right. But people will often place this, this it becomes this American Christianity where they, they place God and country together as equal. And, and they, they, they just live their life in this view that America is this great nation. That's God's chosen nation. They, they change the meaning of the Bible and say that Israel is actually America. And they change this focus and they do whatever they can to make sure that America stays this great, holy Christian nation nation. And I hate to break it to you, but America never started as a Christian nation. And you can debate me on that later, but it's never been a Christian nation. Yes, it has been under God. Yes, but the early founding fathers were not Christians. They were docetists. They believed in a God. That's why they said freedom of religion. You can worship whatever you want to. We're going to call it God. It is one nation under God, freedom of religion. There was only a few Christians in the founding fathers. I'm sorry if that had to break something bad to you that gets to your core, but that is the truth. Come debate me afterwards if you want to. Or online, send me a message. I've went way off point here, but you get my point with all of this, is that we cannot let America become our idol, which is what Revelation is saying. You cannot let Rome become your idol. You cannot become comfortable in your nation. You cannot allow that to change your Christian identity. You can't become soft. You can't start accommodating the culture around you to fit in, to be comfortable. That's not what Christianity is about. America can become our idol. And there's a healthy balance that we need to find between love for country and love for God. And my point with all of that is that Revelation is telling us that when we worship an idol, whatever the idol is for you, we receive the mark of the beast. Because the idol takes our focus away from God. Idols lead to oppression. They lead to judgment and selfishness. Idols cause people to seek power. Idols go against God even when we don't realize it. And when we worship an idol, we receive the mark of the beast. But it's not a literal mark that you can, you can see on somebody's outside, on their hand or on their forehead. It is something that you receive on the inside, which you can see through our actions. Again, you can't see the mark literally of somebody. You can't just walk down the street and say, I see the mark of God on you or the mark of the beast. It is something that is hidden within us that becomes prevalent, that becomes noticed, that you can see through their actions. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7 when he says that you will know a true disciple by the fruit that they produce. A good tree produces good fruits and a bad tree produces bad fruits. You can identify the type of tree based on the fruit that it produces. Produces. An apple tree will produce apple fruit. What Jesus is saying is that you will know a true disciple by their actions, by what comes out of them. 
And this is not hard to do or hard to see. You can watch people and very quickly determine by their actions and see, are they acting out of, out of selfishness? Are they mean? Are they rude? Are they impatient? Or you can look at people and see how loving they are, how kind they are, how patient they are. Now, let me pause and say that it is not our job to judge other people. It is not our job to call out their fruit. It is not our job to identify what type of tree they are, unless they're in a place of leadership and you're trying to determine if we should trust them or not. But most people, it is not our job to do that. Our job is to look at what mark we personally have. Jesus says, don't look at the speck in your brother's eye. When you have a plank in your own eye, you don't go to that place. You just look at yourself. And we do that by looking at the fruit in our life. What do our actions say about us? What do our thoughts say about us? Where do we place our focus? Is our focus on Jesus and his church? Or is our focus on, on an idol that we have placed above God, whether we realize it or not? So the question for all of us then is, what mark do we have? Do we have the seal of God? Or do we have the mark of the beast? Have we placed something above God that has taken our focus away from him? Maybe something intentionally that you have done or are doing, or maybe it's something that you didn't even realize has become an idol for yourself. Remember, the point of revelation is to lead us to a place of repentance so that we can be brought to a place of true worship. And this is what we see here with revelation. Mixed with this talk about the beast and the mark and the antichrist, we find a specific call for the church that's hidden in chapter 10 or chapter 13, verse 10, that says, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. The evil that the beast represents exists in our world today. This is not just describing something in the future. It's not just describing something in the past. It's describing stuff from all of time for all generations to see and experience. And the call is for us as individuals, as Christians, as the church to examine our lives, to repent from our sins, to turn away from idols, to remove the mark of the beast if we have it and receive the seal of God, which comes through repentance, which comes through patient endurance, through this time. So this morning, I want you to evaluate your life. And I don't want you to think about people around you. Think about your families. I don't want you to think about other people and, and their own lives. It's easy for us to call that out of other people. I want you to focus specifically on yourself this morning and ask yourself, what does the fruit say about your heart? Where is your focus? Where is your worship placed? Remember, the point of revelation is to lead us to a place of repentance so that we can be brought to a place of worship. Unfortunately, that process usually takes us through times of chaos that leads us to a place of worship. And we see in chapter 15 of Revelation that we are brought back to a place of worship. But to get there, you first have to evaluate your life to repent of your sins, to see, are we placing our focus on idols or are we placing our full hearts, our full self on God and loving others? Pray with me now.
Father, in this moment, we identify our faults. We hold those out to you. You know what they are. The things that we've been placing too much focus on. The things that have become idols in our life. Father, we hold those out to you. We offer them to you and ask that you take those away from us. That you remind us of your goodness. That you lead us to a place of repentance so that we can worship you. So that through our storm, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the chaos, we can find your goodness. We can find your grace and your peace. Father, we know that you love us. Father, we believe in you, but sometimes we need your help to help our unbelief. We invite you into our whole self to open all the doors that we've been keeping closed in our heart. We allow you to shine a light and reveal the darkness, to cleanse our souls so that we can live in a place of peace and hope, knowing that we have the seal of you in our lives so that we don't have to be afraid of what will come in this world. We don't have to be afraid of the chaos that is existing all around us because we believe and worship and trust in you. Father, we pray this through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love to continue the conversation and connect with you. Comment, like, subscribe, follow us on the socials at rnaschurch or our website, rnaz.church.